very unusual structure. The moon of Mars. Of course I'm going to specify. There's a monolith. We've discovered a base on the back side of the moon. The scientist pulled out one of these mosaics and showed this base. Geometric shapes, there were towers, there were uh, spherical uh, buildings. There were very tall towers and things that looked somewhat like radar dishes. But there were large structures. We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. Welcome to the Zero Brain Podcast, the show that focuses on the unexplained. I'm Dave Grave, your host, and like always, we got an awesome episode lined up for you today. Here we go. Chapter 17. When is a moon not a moon? My friend Lou called. The information business at HEW must have been slack. He sounded excited. There are at least 15 objects flying ahead of and behind Jupiter, he shouted into the phone. I pushed aside the photos of Tycho and prepared for a long siege. You there, George? Right here, Lou. I said there are these things. Yeah, Lou, the number 15 was a clue. I believed I knew what he meant. There are special points. 60 degrees ahead and behind a smaller object revolving around a much larger one. The ratio of size has to be a little more than 28 to 1. They call these Lagrangian points. All the planets revolving around the sun have them. So does our moon. You can stick something in one of these Lagrangian points and it might stay there forever. Or as long as the planets do. Let's get back to Jupiter. We're getting there. The thing is that asteroids, all kinds of space junk and dust can collect in these Lagrangian points and not get swept up by the gravitational attractions of bigger bodies. About 15 asteroids have been spotted at these points ahead and behind Jupiter. There's probably lots more that can't be seen with the telescopes. Those what you mean, Lou? Asteroids, Lou snorted. You call them asteroids? I tried to focus my eyes on the picture of Tycho and could not. Okay, Lou, what would you call them? They could be anything, even spaceships. But there's absolutely no reason to assume. That's the trouble with you people into astronomy, Lou said. Afraid to make an assumption. Afraid to stick your neck out. The plain truth is none of you know what those damn things are. Admit it. Lou, the solar system is loaded with planetary bodies. There are small planets nobody's seen or dreamed of yet. You ever heard of the asteroid belt? Countless chunks of rock and metal going around the sun. And a long time ago, there were millions more of them orbiting the sun and the bigger planets. A lot of them got captured or crashed into the giants. Those left outside of the asteroid belt are in the safer spots where they can't easily get swept up. They call these asteroids in the Lagrangian points Trojans. Sure, Lou said, isn't that what science is all about? Naming things? Got to have a name for them. Now, if you were to report that someone has found asteroids trapped in the moon's Lagrangian points, that would be news, and a hell of a lot more interesting. Everybody knows about the Trojans leading and chasing Jupiter. Isaac Asimov has a proposal, I said quickly. It seems to me the most creative to come along since they planned out the first moon shots. 
He says we should take our radioactive wastes and shoot them into the two stable Lagrangian points associated with the Earth-Moon system. That way, they wouldn't be around to make trouble for future generations. What do they do now with the dangerous wastes is bury them deep or put them in a concrete casket and dump them out at sea. The time it will take for those caskets to disintegrate can be calculated. Asimov calls these two points the Lagrangian points storing radioactive wastes, the Trojan hearse, I said. But I don't think Lou appreciated Asimov's pun. He mumbled something and hung up. Moons in the solar system, strange things. We accept them as being perfectly natural, part of the natural scheme of things, but maybe they aren't. I sat long after Lou hung up thinking about them, about what I'd read and what I'd heard. The subject grabbed me so much that I forgot for half an hour about the new photos sitting on my desk. The truth is, we do not know a lot about moons. We don't know where they come from, what they are, why some behave so differently from others. The truth is, we don't know a lot about moons. The Apollo 17 preliminary science report put out by NASA says in its introduction, quote, yet Despite the great strides taken in knowledge about the moon, its origin and formation are still unknown. And some of what we once knew, we forget. We kid ourselves and new generations that the moons of the solar system constitute a stable setup, that they have been as they are now since the beginning of time. You think the moons of Jupiter revolve around the planet like clockwork? then be advised that astronomers found all down through the 19th century that certain of the satellites did not appear from behind the disk of Jupiter on time. One would disappear behind the planet and then be several minutes late in showing again. Sometimes when one of Jupiter's satellites was supposed to be in plain sight, it could not be seen at all. Cassini, one of the great names in astronomy, saw a satellite orbiting Venus in 1672. It was seen by other astronomers and scientists, James Short, Tobias Mayer, Montaigne. It was seen repeatedly from 1672 to 1764. Its orbit was calculated, its distance from Venus estimated. It had an apparent diameter of 2,000 miles. After 1764, it was never seen again. Astronomers today agree that Venus has no moon. Everyone today is familiar with the story of how Asaph Hall discovered the two tiny moons of Mars in 1877, after many competent people had looked in vain for a satellite over a long period. Stranger still, however, is the story of how Phobos and Deimos had been written about generations earlier by others, including Jonathan Swift, who had come close to describing them accurately. It sounds improbable, but the empirical evidence indicates that two chunks of rock began orbiting Mars for the first time in 1877, or came back after having once been there in the past. An interesting and pertinent sidelight is that the Mariner shots taken by NASA reveal a bottle-mouth opening of a crater on Phobos, an opening so perfect in, a, in detail that the artificial origin of the Martian moons becomes believable. As another sideline, NASA's volume, Mars as Viewed by Mariner 9, contains this interesting paragraph in a chapter entitled Mysterious Canyons. 
The major obstacle to any convincing explanation of the origin of the canyons is how was the bulk of the material originally present in these enormous chasms removed? There is no obvious way to transport debris out except by the wind. Yet the amount of material to be transported is so great as to cast doubt on the effectiveness of this mechanism operating by itself. The disposal of such vast amounts of material remains a problem. These canyons are up to 200 kilometers wide, thousands of kilometers long, and possibly as much as 6 kilometers deep. Phobos orbits Mars in less than one-third the time it takes Mars to rotate once. This makes Phobos unique in the solar system. Deimos, the outer moon, takes about five and a half hours more per revolution than the primary planet takes to rotate. The Russian astronomer Ishlovsky and others suggested that both of these Martian moons are artificial, put into orbit in the early 1870s. An astronomer named E. Holden, who succeeded Dr. Asaph Hall at the Washington Observatory, reported... A third satellite of Mars, which moved in contradiction to Kepler's third law of motion. The satellite is not recognized by others. Uranus has five official satellites. Two of them were discovered by Herschel, the English astronomer who first found Uranus itself. And lest you think that astronomers in the late 1700s were unequipped, the fact is that Herschel built a reflecting telescope of 48-inch aperture. He devoted eight years to the search for other satellites. He thought he had found four more farther away from the primary planet than the additional three discovered later. Nobody has ever found a trace of these moons of Uranus, which Herschel saw. They have never been seen again. Ever heard of Vulcan? It was the name of a planet discovered in 1762 and reported by a host of astronomers for the next century. The orbit of Vulcan was calculated. It was infra-Mercurian, that is, inside the orbit of Mercury closer to the Sun. Such men of note as Schmidt, Wolf, Hoffman, Leverrier, the discoverer of Neptune, Lescarval, and many others saw it. Leverrier, after long observation, calculated that the best time for seeing Vulcan would be on March 22, 1877. There was no Vulcan on that day. The last observation was in 1876. This was about the period of the appearance of the two moons of Mars, and two years before two infra-Mercurian bodies were independently discovered by Swift and Watson. Lewis Swift, director of the Warner Observatory in Rochester, discovered over 1,200 nebulae and 12 comets. James C. Watson, director of Washburn Observatory at the University of Wisconsin, discovered 22 asteroids. Professor Watson assured Dr. Asaph Hall that he and Swift had seen the two luminous objects independently and precisely identified their positions without knowledge of each other's discovery. Nonetheless, Professor Colbert, superintendent of Dearborn Observatory, attacked the integrity of the two men. Nobody has ever seen what these sophisticated astronomers had described. The two bodies passed into limbo. This also closely approximated the time of the so-called incredible decade. Isaac Asimov says there are nine moons in our solar system which have been captured, one of Neptune, one of Saturn, seven of Jupiter. He bases this on what he calls the tug-of-war ratio, the attraction of the planet versus the attraction of the sun. This ratio ranges from Miranda of satellite of Uranus, which has a tug-of-war ratio of 24,600, 
to the seventh moon of Jupiter, which has a ratio of 1.03. He calls the other satellites true satellites. And then he comes to our moon. It is important to quote him. It is a shame that one small thing remains unaccounted for. One trifling thing I've ignored so far, but what in blazes is our own moon doing way out there? It's too far out to be a true satellite of Earth. If we go by my beautiful chain of reasoning, which is too beautiful for me to abandon, it's too big to have been captured by the Earth. The chances of such a capture having been affected and the moon then having taken up a nearly circular orbit about the Earth are too small to make such an eventuality credible. There are theories, of course, to the effect that the moon was much closer to the Earth within my permitted limits for a true satellite, and then gradually moved away as a result of tidal action. Well, I have an objection to that. If the moon were a true satellite that originally had circled the Earth at a distance of, say, 20,000 miles, it would almost certainly be orbiting it in the plane of Earth's equator, and it isn't. But then, if the moon is neither a true satellite of the Earth, nor a captured one, what is it? He goes on to calculate the tug-of-war ratio for the moon is 0.46. We would lose the tug-of-war with the sun. We, Earth, attract the moon half as strongly as does the sun. Asimov solves the problem by indicating that another category exists, that of double planetary systems. The Earth-Moon system is a double planetary one. The only problem with this is that Apollo flights of NASA seem to show that the Moon did not evolve along with Earth, that it had an entirely different history. Dr. Harold C. Urey believes that the Moon was captured by Earth. He says it is difficult to understand how the Moon acquired such a different composition from that of the Earth, especially with respect to metallic iron. The Earth has a large iron core, and the Moon, at most, only a very small one. You put your money down and take your choice. The only thing we're sure of is that the Moon is pretty weird. Laplace formulated a theory in which all the moons and planets and the Sun were supposed to fit. One original motion caused them all to rotate and revolve in the same direction. But Velikovsky pointed out that one of the moons of Saturn and the moon of Neptune and several moons of Jupiter all revolve in the opposite direction from the main solar system thrust. One of Saturn, one of Neptune, and several of Jupiter. Does this sound like Asimov's estimate of captured moons? Laplace wrote, One finds by the analysis of the probabilities that there are more than 4,000 billion chances to one, that this arrangement, i.e. the movement of planets and the moons in the same direction, is not the result of chance. This probability is considered higher than that of the reality of historical events with regard to which no one would venture a doubt. Moons which come and go over the years, moons which are late in appearing as they revolve around their parent, moons which go in the opposite direction from the general movement of the solar system, Moons which orbit a planet which has already lost the tug-of-war with the sun and which are too big to have been captured. A moon which is being feverishly worked by myriad occupants. Can it be that macro spaceships exist in the solar system? Ships which can be driven anywhere, 
spaceships, which used the orbit patterns of larger planets as parking spaces. Was Arthur Clarke right about the first moon of Jupiter? And was Shlovsky right about the inner moon of Mars? And J.B. S. Haldane, the biologist who explored genetics and ethics as well, said, The universe is not only queerer than we suppose, but queerer than we can suppose. That's the end of chapter 17. All right, that's the end of the show. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, and follow on every major social media avenue you see the Zero Brain Podcast at. You can find us on iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Buzzsprout.com, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. I'm Dave Grave. Again, this is the Zero Brain Podcast. You guys have a great day. Peace.